Well, good morning, Citygate Church and all of our online guests. Here we are. Today is First Fruit Sunday, which is really exciting. I spoke last week on the, on the power of first fruits. But today I want us to, to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're just going to spend time in one of the most famous um, examples in the Bible of God's provision, actually. So as we turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm just going to read seven of of the verses there. Um, but let's begin by praying, shall we? It's always good to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in us and through us and to speak to us because one word from God absolutely can change your life forever. So let's pray, shall we? Father God, as we come with a confidence and a boldness right into your throne room, Lord, as we've exalted you, we've spent time today in praise and worship and Lord, we want to say that we love you. You mean everything to us. We honour you. We thank you for this great salvation. We thank you, God, for the honour and the privilege, Lord, of being in partnership with you, that you are our Lord and our Saviour, Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us today. We humble ourselves. We declare ourselves to be clay on the potter's wheel for you to transform our lives. We thank you, God, that as you speak to us today, as you deposit your word in our hearts, we declare we're good ground for your word. And Lord, as we understand your word here hear your voice, Holy Spirit, that we're going to produce 30, 60, 100-fold return of everything you put into us. Lord, we thank you for the grace to be those who do your word, not just hear it only. And we thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Amen. So let's have a look here at the second Kings chapter 4. And the first seven verses says this, And a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elijah, so you get the state of this woman straight away. She cries out. She's desperate here. She needs a breakthrough. She needs God to do something. In fact, I don't know if her heart was on God at this moment. Her heart was on Elisha doing something. But she needed something to change. God is the God of the breakthrough who will come in and turn situations around. Why don't you cry out to God today for your situation to turn around in Jesus' name? Because that's what happens here. She cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor is coming to take away my two sons to be his slaves. This is a desperate situation. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant hasn't got anything in, this, in, in the house except for a jar of oil. And then he said, why didn't you go to borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. You will pour the oil into the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, she shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured the oil out. Now it came to pass when all the vessels were full, she said to her son, will you bring me another vessel? And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came, she told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, now go and sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons will live on the rest. Don't you love that passage? Isn't it just wonderful, the heart of God and the, and the incredible power of God to resolve her situation? As we think about this today, 
I want to declare with a confidence and a boldness that our God is the God of more than enough. He's not the God of just enough. He's not the God of just get by. He's not the God of scraping around. He's the God of more than enough. One of the Old Testament words for God is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the God of more than enough. And we find him here clearly displaying his character and his love and his goodness and his abundance as the God of more than enough. Now, as I've said before, this is, a, this is extremely similar to, to something that Elijah had done. So now here's his disciple, the, the, the man he, he, um, he appointed in his place and he anointed to be prophet in his place. And he's doing almost the same thing. You don't have the morsel and the cake and whatever else, but you do have the pouring out of the oil and the oil didn't run dry. It's a little bit different here until the last um, empty vessel was filled, but it's the same type of thing. And so Elisha was a man who believed this, that if God's done it before, God can do it again. And even if God hasn't done it before, God can still do it for the first time. There always has to be a first sometime when God does something that he hasn't done before. But I want to encourage you today. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus Christ, 2,000 years from the Gospels and the book of Acts. And we've lived for 2,000 years with the most amazing things being done in the church. And then we've got thousands of years before that where God showed himself strong. And I want to encourage you today on this First Fruit Sunday that God is the God of more than enough. If he's done it before, then he will do it again. Not just he can do it again, he will do it again. You see, that's where faith engages. Not that God is able, that God is, he will do it. There was a man in the Gospels that said, I know you can do it, but will you do this? And Jesus said, I will. Friend, I want to encourage you today that on the, on the, on the promises of God's word, God will show himself strong. He's the God of more than enough. So I've just got six things here today of what happens when God breaks through in this sort of a way. The first one, miracles happen when we have a what can I do for you heart of compassion. See, so many people in the world want to get out of responsibility. Not my problem. Have you ever heard that? You phone somebody up and they say, I'm sorry, it's not my problem. I can't do anything. Not my responsibility. Not my problem. Not my concern. Not my care. I love the heart of Elisha. And it actually comes from the heart of God, which is, what can I do for you? I don't know if this was Elisha's responsibility or not, but he responded to a desperate cry. And as we live for the cause of Christ, church, I believe the ears of the church have got to be open to the cries of the world. And we can say they shouldn't be in that mess. They should have done something about it. But you know what? I don't find that with the heart of God. I don't find God saying you shouldn't be in that mess. I find the heart of God says this. Yeah, the mess is there. How can I get you out of it? And I love that heart of compassion from Elisha. And it's said by so many people in the Bible. Abram said it and, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ said it. So many people have said it. What can I do for you? 
What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I make you great? How can I get you out of the desperate need that you're in? Um, you know, at the time the Lord sent out his 12 disciples, then the 72, you know what he said? He said, go into any house that'll have you. And when you go in there, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, provide for any need, leave your shalom in that house. Leave your abundance in that house. Leave your nothing missing, nothing broken. When we encounter somebody in the world, or should I say when they encounter us and they're in a desperate need, we should leave their lives nothing missing, nothing broken. But it comes from that attitude, what can I do for you? I think of the compassion of Jesus through the Gospels. One of the most obvious ones, and I've, I've spoken from this for so many years. The Lord has just been told that his, his close friend and his, his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been executed. Just, been, just had his head chopped off for a dancing girl. And he, it says he goes out to be on his own. He's suffering a bereavement here. He's going out to be on his own. Doesn't want to talk to people, doesn't really want to be with people, goes out to be with the Father, I'm sure, and just to draw strength from the Holy Spirit. And yet he turns round and crowds have followed him. Isn't that an ideal opportunity for him to turn around and say, can you just not leave me alone for just a minute, for just a day? Come on, I'm giving my life for you guys. You follow me everywhere. Can I just not have some alone time? Wouldn't that be understandable? I think it probably would be understandable, but he turns around and he sees the sick and the poor and the broken. And they are desperate for him. So you know what he does? I'm sure he does this. Can I put some words in here? He takes captive every thought. He puts down his emotions. He submits his will. And that heart of compassion is stirred on the inside. And he says this, what can I do for you? And the Bible says he spends all day long healing the sick and cleansing the lepers and casting out demons, meeting every need. You know why? Because Jesus was selfless. It wasn't about him, it was about others. And Elisha, here he is, I don't know. He could have said, not my problem, but that's not what a Christian does. You know what Christians do? How can I help? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I make your life great? You got a need, how can I meet the need? You got a sickness, I'll stand and pray for you. You got problems in your family, how can I help resolve them? You know what? And we don't just do it um, you know, with, with our abilities, we do it with the supernatural ability of God. This is the same Elisha that said, God, will you give me, please give me the double portion. This is why he prayed for the double portion. It wasn't so he could just have a better encounter with God. It's so he could do this sort of thing and meet people's needs and see people set free from the most horrific and the most horrible circumstances. Her sons were going to be slaves, the Bible says. Well, Elisha said, not on my watch, not happening. I've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm a man on fire with the compassion and the love of God. Not on my watch. I'm going to see this woman and her family set free. Wonderful, isn't it? So the first thing there is God's, God will bring the breakthrough. Um, miracles happen when we have a what can I do for you heart of compassion. The second thing God brings the breakthrough and, um, and miracles happen 
when we are in a partnership with the power of God. What do I mean by that? Well, it's a bit of a, an interesting one here. What does Elisha say? He says, what do you have in your house? Unusual question when she hasn't got anything. The creditors are coming. They're taking everything. He, he just says this, what have you got in your house? What have you got that can be made available to God for God to use. You see, God always wants to work in partnership with us. The staff in the hand of Moses, the stones from the brook in the sling of the teenager David, taking the head off Goliath. What have you got in your house? See, if you're a Christian, then everything you have belongs to God. Not just the 10% of the tithe, but everything belongs to God. Therefore, God can use anything for his glory. And God can bring a breakthrough in the most amazing way with the most insignificant things that we often just overlook. Isn't it easy to overlook? Oh, yeah, but I can't do anything. I haven't got any gifts and talents. I'm not eloquent. Who said that? The man who led all the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, I can't talk, I can't lead people, I'm not influential. He overlooked who he was. See, God wants you to understand this, that God takes the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that think they are. He takes the insignificant and the downtrodden, the things that we just think are not worth anything, and he uses those things, those people, those inabilities, those gifts. You see, if we see ourselves that we need to be so talented and so gifted, then what's the need for God? God will take you just as you are. I think about my own life. I think I'm the last person on earth to be standing here and preaching the gospel. From the age of five, I had a speech impediment. You probably hear it a few times, come out every now and again. But there was a period in my life I could hardly hold a conversation. When I stood there with Sharon to, you know, to give the vows, I couldn't say my vows. Talk about embarrassing. I, Julian, take you, Sharon, that's how I said my vows. Sorry if that sounds a bit weird online here, but I want to make a point. Don't underestimate what God can do with your life and through your life to set other people free and to bring prosperity into your own life. What have you got in your house? What are you able to do? What time have you got that you can sow into a new business? What skills have you got? What education have you got? You don't have to be the best. You just have to be available. Why? Because it's the anointing that we rely upon. That little bit of oil was not going to do the miracle. It was the anointing on the oil. See, God will anoint whatever is in your hand if it's made available to him. God will, as we yield our lives to him, God will anoint your life. We've been crying out and praying, God, the double anointing, the double portion upon our lives. We believe and we receive the double portion. We declare it in our finances, the double portion. We declare it in our families. We declare it in our businesses. Come on, a year of double, why not? But don't think that it has to be our ability 
that causes God's greatness to shine for the rest of the year. It's really not. It's what he anoints. It's what he touches. It's what he's able to do with what we give him. What have you got in your house? Let God speak to you, even right now during this message. What have you got in your house? There are so many stories, so many stories in, in history of people who just, there was a lady, wasn't there, who just started to bake, um, I think it was just some, 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 I don't know, bake something simple, meat pies I think it was. And she'd make them and she'd sell them on the street, just a few at a time, a little bit. That's turned into a huge international business. So many examples what God can do when we don't underestimate the little bit that we have in our house. I'm so excited about this. Don't underestimate the little bit of your seed either. God can cause great harvest from just a little bit of seed. Oh, it's just amazing. Isn't that the principle of the kingdom about the little seed grows the biggest tree? Don't underestimate what God can do. Don't discount it. The third thing, how does God bring the breakthrough and the um, um, miracles happen when we are obedient? I don't know what I would have done if, I like to think I would have done what she did and the sons did, but I don't know, it's a bit scary really sometimes, isn't it? The man said, Elisha said, go to everybody and ask them for all their empty vessels. It's like, really? Really, that seems, sounds a bit weird. Really, it's a bit like there's another account with Elisha and to bring the healing to the king. He says, go and jump in the river seven times. Wasn't even a very nice river. And the king said, really? Oh, come on, I'll get in the bath seven times if you want or get in the jacuzzi, but I really don't want to get in there. And the principle was just do what God says. Don't go, really? Is that really what I'm going to do? Come on, is that, that can't be God's word to me. Sounds too crazy, sounds too wacky. A bit like, you know, there's Peter. He, he needs to pay his tax bill. That's very relevant for today, isn't it? We're at the end of January. Needs to pay his tax bill. And what does Jesus say? He says, go fishing and out of the first fish, not the only fish. If I was Peter, I would have got that first fish, put it down and carried on fishing. Because the last time he fished, he got about 300. And then at the time after that, he got another few hundred. So don't just take the first one and throw it away. And take the, because he said in the first fish, take the coin out of the mouth, go and pay our taxes. Isn't that fantastic? I would have fished and fished and fished and fished till the lake was dry. He didn't say the only fish. He said the first fish. But the important thing is, be obedient. Just do what God says. It's the simple things that are often the most profound and bring the biggest type of a breakthrough. Stretch forth your hand. Just take up your bed and walk. It's the obedience that brings the breakthrough. He said, go everywhere. I love what he said, actually. Where is it? Um, it says, it says, Go and get vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Do not just gather a few. I don't know, perhaps you just would have gone to the people that you like. Next door, perhaps the next door than that. Perhaps the one on the other side, those three or four, and sort of knock, oh, hi, Fred, how's it going? Yeah, bit of a strange one, but have you got any empty vessels? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Give them back to me anytime. Fine, you got a relationship. Then to the next one. Then to, He said, go everywhere. 
Knock, knock, knock. Uh, excuse me, I don't think we've ever, ever spoken before. Uh, I live half a mile away down the road there. Um, but have you got any empty vessels? Gets a bit strange, doesn't it? But you know what? Obedience. And do the most. Do you remember I said in the first one about Elisha that he was a wholehearted man? No wonder he said three times, everywhere, all the vessels, not just a few. He was saying, come on, go overboard with this. Get them from everywhere. Drain this city of empty vessels. Get everything you can. Now, she didn't know why. She didn't understand everything that was going to happen. But her obedience at that point would set the level of the miracle. If she'd just got one or two vessels, that's all she would have filled. And it would have not even paid the debt. If she'd got half the amount, perhaps it, it just would have paid the debt and not given them anything to live off of. But God is the God of more than enough. He is the God of more than enough. So what they had, they had, like in the first fruits offering, and those hundred men had, had, had stuff left over. I believe God wants us to live in the leftover, in the more than enough. Not the just enough, but in the more than enough. And just like the lady with the jar of oil and the bin of flour, she lived all the way through the drought with no issues at all. This woman here got into abundance because she didn't compromise on her obedience on the instruction that God gave her. If God tells you to do something, my friend, do it 100%. If God tells you to go and, and you know, say something or do something or sow something or believe something or confess something or declare something, do it a hundredfold. Why? Because you don't know what you're setting yourself up for for the future. Obedience determined the miracle. Number four. The breakthrough happens and the miracle happens when we shut the door on the world's influence. I love the fact that Elisha said here, go in and shut the door. Shut the door. It speaks to me of so many things. It it speaks to me of, come on, you know, something great is about to happen. Let's get together with God here. Close the door. The Bible says we're to, in our fasting and the praying, when we have a personal fast, we, we pray and we fast behind closed doors. We don't advertise this. This is between us and God. A proclaimed fast like this month is very different. Everybody's fasting. We all know that. We're not trying to just look good and, and you know, get through it. And, uh, you know, we're all fasting. So that's good. But he said, shut the door. I think so often in life, we need to shut the door on distractions. Distractions everywhere, screaming at us through the airwaves, screaming at us on social media. This is the end of January. And in some ways, you know, perhaps it would have been good to have preached this on the very first Sunday. I don't know. <sighs> shut off social media. Just shut it off. The amount of hours people waste comparing themselves to other people. The highlights of other people's lives. And, you know, science shows us very, very clearly that the rush we get, actually chemically in our body, the rush we get when somebody likes or somebody views is addictive. Very clear. Scientifically proven. 
very clear. When somebody likes, how many likes have you got? 3,000, whoosh, you get a rush like a drug. And you know what? It lasts that long until the next thing, and you've got to have that and improve on it on the next time. I'm not anti-social media. What I am anti is distractions. There are so many distractions in the world today. Things that want to distract us from praying, distract us from reading the Word of God, distract us from preaching the gospel to our friends and our neighbours and our family, distract us from, from you know, sowing seed, distract us from the cause of Christ. We're living for everything else under the sun except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many distractions. Friend, as we go into this year, shut the door on distractions. Perhaps it's time I had a friend, well, I haven't have a friend, haven't seen them for a long time actually, and I can remember them, they said, you know what, we're getting rid of the TV. Not out of being legalistic. It wasn't, oh, you know, the little idol in the corner. It wasn't something from a place of condemnation. It was just a place of distraction. They were spending more time, and it's not just a time thing, I get that, but it was more of a priority to be entertained than it was to live for the gospel. Friend, what distraction do you need to close the door on? What else do we need to shut the door on? Shut out the bad report. Shut it out. If the children of Israel had done that, they wouldn't have wandered around in the desert for 40 years. But they heard the bad report. They entertained the bad report. They believed the bad report. So they lived in the bad report. They never entered in to God's abundance. Why? Because they believed the bad report. Friend, can I ask you today, can I encourage you today, shut out the bad report. It's never going to work. Just shut the door on it. Shut the door and put acoustic foam on the inside so you can't even hear it through the cracks. Don't listen to the bad report. Shut the door on it. And there are times, I'm not saying to divide families and whatever else, but there are times to just turn off some phone calls and to just, you know, perhaps turn off some relationships sometimes for a period of time because all that's being spewed out is bad report. How it's not going to work. It's never going to work. You're never going to get the breakthrough. I tried that and it didn't work. And, you know, there are giants in the land. And yeah, but, you know, isn't Goliath tall? And look at his spear. And all all this sort of stuff. Shut the door on the bad report. And can I say, open the door to the good report. Listen to people who'll tell you you can do it. Obviously, the first report you've got to open is the report of the Word of God, that God promises what He said, what you can do. Listen to preaching, listen to podcasts, feed yourself with the good report of God's Word. What else can we shut out? Shut out the critics. That goes with the bad report. Shut out those who criticize, those who tried it and it didn't work. And now just criticize those who live for God wholeheartedly. Come on, shut out the critics. Open the door to the people who will encourage your life. Finally on that one, number four, shut out unbelief. Shut the door on it. Shut your mouth. You, actually, your mouth is a door. Shut your mouth to words of unbelief and it's not going to work and I'm just going to crash and burn and I'm bound to get COVID and my business is going down the tubes and whatever else. Shut your mouth to it. Come on, your mouth is the prophetic release of your tomorrows. Come on, shut your mouth to the bad report, to the criticism, to the unbelief. Open your mouth to the good report of God for what God has said he's going to do. Number five, we've got six of these. So number five, the breakthrough happens 
Miracles happen when we start to pour. When we start to pour it out. There's so many things I could say about that. We're to pour out abundant life out of our spirit. We're to pour out the anointing. We're to pour out compassion. We're to pour out faith. When we start to pour out, stuff starts happening. So often we wait on God for God to move. And then we say, God, when you move, I'll start pouring. And God says, no, you start pouring and you'll see that I'm already moving. It's a bit like this with the joy of the Lord. Lord, I'll start to dance when the oil comes upon me. I'll clap, I'll shout, I'll dance for joy when the oil comes upon me. And he says, no, you start pouring out dancing. You start pouring out shouting. You start pouring out clapping. And you'll find that it's the anointing that's pouring out. But you've got to do it by faith first. When she started to pour, the vessel started to be filled. What needs to be filled in your life? Start pouring out the Word of God. Start pouring out the joy of the Lord. Start pouring out, you know, gifts and finances and generosity. Start pouring out. Why? Because what you sow, you'll reap anyway. But as we pour out, rivers start to flow. What do we do? We do something by faith. All the way through the Bible. Take up your bed and walk. Heal me and I'll get up. No, you get up, you'll find you're healed. Stretch forth your hand. Heal me and I'll stretch forth my hand. No, stretch forth your hand. Do something by faith. Seed faith, we call it. Do something by faith and it causes the breakthrough. King David said this, but our Peret Zim, the Lord of the breakthrough, he, God has broken through as I stretched out my hand with a sword in it. As he stretched it out, God broke through. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't God brought the breakthrough and in followed David. No, David started to advance and God broke through. David started to pray and hailstones, not David, um, Joshua in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua started to pray and hailstones started to come down. As we move by faith, as we start pouring a little bit of oil, I mean, it's a bit like the, you know, dividing of the five loaves and the two fish. Start to give this out to people. Well, I want to see it divide first. No, give it out and you'll find that it's multiplied. The water into wine. Pour it out and you'll see it's turned into wine. When did it change? I know it changed when they started to pour. Until they started to pour, until they gave it to the head of the, of the feast there, it was just water. But as they poured it out, God said, boom, your faith has moved. Now I can anoint. You've spoken the word. Now I can release. You've divided the bread, you've given it to somebody, now I can increase it. We've got to start to pour. As we pour out, God moves. Don't wait for God to move to pour out. Don't wait oh, until I've got all the money in the bank, then I'll start giving. No, you give and then God will start to increase. You sow the seed to get the harvest. You pour out the oil to fill the jars. You stretch forth your hand to get the healing. As we move by faith, God moves in the most amazing way. And finally today, the breakthrough happens. Miracles happen. And when they do, they bring you to the place of more than enough. What do I mean by that? Because she got all the vessels, because she got all the jars, because the anointing of God had been released, because her faith had set the level of the miracle, we've already covered all of that. 
she paid her debt and had more than enough to sell and live off the rest. She had an oil business. She had an oil business. She was able to sell her asset and live off the rest. To live of the rest. You know, for me, that doesn't say for six months. This is incredible. She was able to live off the rest. The Bible doesn't actually clarify this, but I absolutely know in my spirit from the principles of God that she lived off the rest of it forever. That was her setup. What does sowing seed do? What does the breakthrough do? I'll tell you what it does. It puts you into the place of being able to live in the overflow, to live in the abundance. You see, if all we get is the miracle, just enough to pay the debt, then we're back to square one. We need another miracle. She would have been crying out in six months' time, I've got a problem again. But because she did wholeheartedly what God told her to do, she had enough to require no aid or support. That's in the New Testament. The Bible says God will give you seed to the sower, bread for food. He'll give you the grace of God financially for us to require no aid or support. I know we're going through all sorts of turbulent times. I know we're going through all sorts of loans and all sorts of debts and all sorts of stuff and financial hardship. I know what the world is, but I also know this, that as we obey God, God wants to bring us out on top requiring no aid or support, that we don't have to live off the world's wealth, that the world's wealth comes into the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and we can live above the need for support. I believe God is the God of abundance. The gold is mine, the silver is mine, God says. Haggai, um, you know, the second chapter says, in this place you'll give abundance. You'll give shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. Abundance, prosperity, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. Where? In the kingdom of God. Why? Because God brings us to the place of more than enough. We have more than enough to live. We have more than enough. We have seed to sow for the future. And we have more than enough to create a whole new level of the abundant life of God. Friend, I want to encourage you today. Our God is the God of more than enough. Let's pray, shall we? Father, wow, what an amazing example in your word of your incredible heart of compassion from Elisha to someone in need. And Father, I don't know who's online right now. And Father, but I know that there are people crying out for you to do a, an incredible breakthrough. But Father, we want to align ourselves in line with the fact if you've done it before, you will do it again. And as we are obedient to what you say, as we tithe, as we sow, as we reap, as we sow our seed to bless other people, Lord, perhaps you're speaking to us about what have you got in your house. Lord, as we're obedient to whatever it is you're speaking to us right now, we thank you, Lord God, that will bring us to the place of abundance where we can meet the needs of others. We're blessed to be an incredible blessing to, Lord, to relieve other people's hardships. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the abundant life that there is in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Friend, I want to encourage you today that, you know, here there was this lady and she was crying out for a financial need. But, you know, the greatest need is the need of the human heart to be in relationship with God. The greatest need is to know Almighty God as your Father and to be born again on the inside. Without that, there's a void. 
there's an emptiness. The Bible actually calls it a deadness on the inside. But friend, when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you're born again. You are filled with His Spirit. Almighty God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, come and live on the inside of you. Give eternal life, abundant life. Give you a reason to live. Give you a, a hope and a future. Bring you into the place of abundant life. That's a journey from that on. It's a journey of spending time in God's Word, learning from God, hearing His voice, all of that. We understand that, but there's a starting point. God's already been at work in your heart, I have absolutely no doubt. But the starting point when you cross over into life is when you pray a prayer, a bit like this, where it says, Lord Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you've been raised from the dead. Come on, why don't you pray with me right now? Let's pray this out loud, out of your mouth to receive Jesus as Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love by sending your Son to die on the cross to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I receive you today as my Lord, my Saviour and my friend. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. And by the help of your grace and your power, I will never be the same again. I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, the Bible says you are now a Christian. You're now a child of God. You can call Almighty God your Father, not just from a religious prayer, but from a relationship. He's your Father. He wants to speak with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. How does He do that? He speaks through the Bible. He speaks as we pray. So I'm going to encourage you to get a Bible and to read it, get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, go through the New Testament, how the church grew and what God was saying to the church. Great stories in the Old Testament, great accounts of what God did, but it, it would be great to start with the Gospels because it's all about Jesus Christ. And friend, I want to encourage whoever you are today, you know what? God is the God of more than enough. Here we are on our First Fruits Sunday and as we sow today, come on, barns filled, vats overflowing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I will see you next Sunday.